0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember that if you love this show and you listen every day, but you're one of the many, many people who listen and have never made a donation before to WDET, this is the time to get on board. This is the time to change that. Local shows like Detroit Today are our most costly service here. And as a nonprofit, WDET has to be mindful of every dollar. Your gift today takes us a step closer to raising the amount of money we need to make up the financial gap that has opened up because of the COVID-19 pandemic here in uh, our country. And uh, WDET is like many other institutions in that it needs more support right now. So if you're listening, if you like the programming that you hear on WDET, if you especially like the local programming that you hear on WDET, this really is the time to give. You can do that at WDET.org. And as always, thanks very much for anything you can give. Up next, we want to talk about what we were discussing last week on the show. when We were talking about housing advocates, about the end of Michigan's eviction moratorium and the fears that mass evictions would follow, especially here in the city of Detroit. Despite people pleading with the state, Governor Whitmer did not extend the statewide eviction moratorium for a fifth time. But not long after that conversation, the 36th District Court here in Detroit announced that it would continue to halt eviction proceedings into the next month. Here to talk about that decision and the implications is the chief judge of that court, William McConico. Bill, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Stephen, thank you for having me. And I, I was wondering how soon were you going to switch over to Bill from William? Because you, you've never called
0: me William in your life. So I have uh... never called you William in your life. I've known you a very long time. Uh, so let's start with this. Talk about why you decided to extend this eviction moratorium here in Detroit.
1: Um, we in 36th District Court, um, I instituted an eviction moratorium before the governor I instituted our first one. And the reason was um, I could see um, what the pandemic and what the financial crisis would do to the city of Detroit before the crisis, we had an eviction crisis in the city of Detroit. Um, When I became chief, one of the first things that I I wanted to address was the fact that the city of Detroit evicts uh, tenants at a rate almost two to three times what cities uh, that are comparable, hmm. Cleveland, Baltimore, Newark, uh, the South Bronx. And I wanted to figure out what was the reason. And one of the major reasons is that we have a issue with the lack of counsel for defendants in landlord-tenant cases. And so we were trying to work on options and ways to increase um, our access uh, for our tenants. To, to legal counsel when the pandemic hit. And so I knew that there would be a financial impact on the citizens and that we could not throw people out and have people forcibly evicted uh, when we're saying we have to shelter in place. So, so that's why we did the initial moratorium. Mm-hmm. And now um, we're seeing our numbers. You know, I, I receive data from the health department every week here. I, I know where our numbers in Detroit our numbers are ticking up, you know, people have to continue the social distance, wear masks, all that stuff. But, you know, again, we're not at a place in the city of Detroit where we can have people evicted. And so and they are, they are, there's a lot of help that's out here for both landlords and tenants that have come from the federal government and the city of Detroit. And so the 30 days that we have in this extension is that we're, we're going to work to make sure people know that there's help for tenants to get back rent and for, um, and for landlords to be able to access resources. And so that's why we had to do it. Hmm.
0: Uh, talk about the relationship between this moratorium and what we see going on at the state level. I think there are a lot of people who hoped that the governor would continue to do this. I think she figures that at some point you have to, to go back to some sort of sense of normalcy, I guess, uh, around this. But but how much communication is there between local courts and the governor's office about this problem and how profound it is in in, in places like Detroit?
1: Well, we have you know we have not had any uh, communication directly with the governor's office. We've had communication with the with the Michigan Supreme Court and the State Court Administrator's office. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chief Justice McCormick has been accessible. I, I can reach her on a Sunday evening, uh, Monday morning. Uh, our, our new State Court Administrator Tom Boyd has an open door policy and an open cell phone policy also, and we discussed this and we and I and I let him know that you know there's no way. With the amount of cases that we had, we have cases that were pending, where court officers had writ signed that they were going to execute, when I did the first moratorium, so we have to go back to those old cases. We have back, we have a huge backlog. There are new cases that have been filed, have been filed, and there was there was just no way that we can just turn the switch and and go. And so what we're you know we have an organized process that we're going to implement over the next thirty days, and if the numbers go up. If the process is not ready, uh, we may have to extend it another 30 days. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, we are getting, um, we have flyers, we're doing social media to get um, the numbers and the the websites for both tenants as well as landlords so they can access help. Because what we cannot have, we cannot have a mass eviction in the city of Detroit.
0: I'm talking with uh, Bill McConaughey. He's the chief judge of the 36th District Court here in Detroit. Uh, He made a decision last week to extend the eviction moratorium, at least for 36th District Court, uh, a little longer, even as Governor Whitmer declined to continue to extend the statewide moratorium on evictions. We're talking about. Uh, what those evictions might mean here in the city of Detroit if we have to go back to the way things were, and what kinds of things we ought to be doing to rethink that dynamic so that more people don't lose their homes. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know what you think of the way the state and local courts have been handling the question of evictions during the pandemic. Was a moratorium on all evictions uh, a good idea, or do you fear that it really just created a backlog that will eventually lead to a more significant housing crisis than we already had? here in the city of Detroit. We especially want to hear from you if you've been affected by the moratorium in some way, whether you're a tenant or a landlord. Call and tell us how all of this affects your life and, of course, your finances. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Bill, I want to ask you that, that same question I just asked the listeners. Uh, are, we, are we really in a, in a pinch in terms of how we go forward at some point? I mean, it, it, it does seem that we will have to address this in, in some way and that there aren't enough tools perhaps in place to make it uh, possible to do it without lots of people losing their homes.
1: Well, Stephen, we're in, a, we're in, a, we're in a actually a much better position now than we were pre-pandemic. We now have, uh, the mayor just announced uh, $6 million uh, for renter assistance for either relocation assistance or for money to help pay with the back rent. Mm-hmm. Uh the federal cares uh program, the, the 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 state of Michigan now has access where where landlords can recoup up to ninety percent of back rent. We didn't have any of that before the pandemic. We now have I mean we have a helpline at one eight Six six three one three two five two zero for any um, Detroiter who needs legal help dealing with landlord-tenant issues. And there's also a website, www.DetroitEvictionHelp.com, where you can be routed to speak with someone from the United Community Housing Coalition or Lakeshore Legal Aid or Legal Aid Defender's Office, someone that can provide assistance. Before the, before the pandemic, 85 to 90 percent of defendants on landlord-tenant cases were unrepresented. Hmm. When, you have, when you have a situation like that, you're going uh, to have mass evictions. You're going to have people being evicted when there are resources out that they just did not know how to access. You're going to have landlords who wanted to keep, you know, they may have a good tenant, but the tenant is having some financial resources. And without having counsel, without having someone uh, to be able to direct them in a certain way, or, or just maybe even make a deal. Um, we're having people just being evicted. And so, you know, we're actually, we have more tools now than we had before the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. Let's go to Tyler in Romulus. Tom, Tyler, welcome to the show.
2: Hi there. Um, hey. I was just curious because my landowner owns all of her properties and she's claiming that uh, there isn't any sort of relief for people who own properties and uh, rent them out, rather than having a sort of mortgage or through Fannie and Freddie Mac. I was just wondering if there's any help with uh the
0: So you're saying
1: for the for the landlord. Absolutely. That is that is what the so we have a new we have a new case update form for if a person had uh, a past uh, landlord tenant case here in 36 or if it's a new case. And part of the um, the the verification form, um, they it talks about the CARES Act program. It talks about diversion program. And there there are millions of dollars that landlords can access to recoup. Um, money that's owed to them, but the tenant has to remain in the property. They, they're not going to be able to, you know, have the money come in and then still evict the person. Right. But there are there are options, and those options, and again, that is the reason why we're, we're, we're moving people towards the websites, and we're asking people to call the state, because there was not any help for the landlord before this, but now there is. Mm.
0: Uh, again, Tyler, Thanks very much for the call and the, the really good question. Kenneth in Centerline, you are up next. Welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Hi, good morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, the house is in Detroit, and my question is, um, I'm trying to sell the house. And so the only way to remove the tenant, unfortunately, is through eviction because they're not leaving voluntarily. So I can't sell the house. So how do I, or what can I do?
1: Well, um, if, there is, if there is a situation where there is an emergency, we have, we have always been able to do emergency cases. And we've done them throughout, throughout the moratorium. That's if there's a safety concern, if there's illegal activity in the home, or there's destruction to the property. If it's just that I need to get the person out and uh, I want to reclaim my property, you have to file a case and it will fall within. Um, there's a priority that the that the state court administrator's office has put out, and then that's the order in which the cases will be called. But you have to file. You have to file. A, you have to file um, uh, an eviction, and based on the reason for the eviction, it will be prioritized, and your case will be called. And your case will be a virtual case. We're not having. We're not having people come to have in person cases right now, but they will be called virtually.
0: Hmm. Uh, Kenneth, before I let you go. I'd, I'd love to have you talk a little about why you've chosen to evict the tenant in order to sell the property instead of selling the property with a lease intact, which seems to me like it might make the property more attractive to buyers. Kenneth, are you still there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Can you go hear ahead. me? Uh huh. Go ahead.
2: Yes, the lease is uh, the lease has, has lapsed. Um, it was being sold. The house was being sold and the individual moved her in.
0: I see what you're saying. Uh,
2: and so and it and the pandemic was you know, happened at the same time, so I couldn't move on it to um and again it's destruction, the whole nine, because now the courts are not so much is on her side, but during the pandemic you can't evict me. Right. So there's really no yeah. no working it out.
0: Okay. Okay, Kenneth, I really appreciate the call uh, and the question. Okay, uh, Bill McConico, Chief Judge of the 36th District Court here in Detroit. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by.
1: Thank you very much, David.
0: Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with housing advocate Michelle Oberholzer about the halt to eviction proceedings here in Detroit, and we're going to talk about this huge Michigan Supreme Court ruling that counties cannot profit any longer from tax foreclosure sales. Stay with us, and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You've heard us talking
2: about WDET's financial situation. Here's an update from
0: WDET General Manager Mary Zatina.
3: WDET is a friend you can count on during this time of constant change and social isolation. WDET is a reliable source of fact-based news during this unprecedented and unpredictable time. When the nation is divided, you can count on WDET to provide you with facts that let you form your own opinion. Our music hosts and culture reporters help you escape the madness with great tunes, conversations, and virtual events. WDET is a nonprofit organization and depends on support from listeners like you. Now is the time to become a member of Team DET.
0: Give now at WDET.org. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the 36th District Court's decision to continue to halt eviction proceedings, and we want to talk about this monumental Michigan Supreme Court ruling about counties that profit off of tax foreclosures last week. And joining us now to discuss... All of those issues is Michelle Oberholzer. She is a director of the United Community Housing Coalition's Tax Foreclosure Prevention Project. Michelle, welcome back to Detroit Today.
3: Thank you so much, Stephen. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I sure can. Okay, great. So let's start with the evictions and the eviction moratorium. Uh, Talk about Governor Whitmer's decision not to extend the moratorium statewide, but the decision by the local court here in Detroit. To, to keep delaying uh, people being removed from their homes.
3: Well, and, and some level I feel grateful that this has been an opportunity for different office holders to recognize the power and the agency that they do have to intervene on behalf of citizens and needs. So I'm really grateful that we do have this extension at the district level, at the city level. I think there's, it's not just about tracking the numbers of COVID cases or just about um, tracking the economy is also about do we have systems in place to connect the funds and the support with people in need and the answer was no so regardless of the COVID caseload um, our capacity to connect um, renters who need financial assistance with the generous funds that have been made available is not there yet so that's why this extension was so needed
0: Mm. Um, and the 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 long term questions about eviction. I mean, we've been talking, of course, a lot about that here on the program and talking about the need for new solutions, different solutions. Uh, is is that moving forward in the way it needs to to prevent the kind of crisis that will sort of inevitably show up, I guess, as you continue to backlog these these Mm -hmm. proceedings
3: well no (laughs) it's not going forward as much as it it should and you know we do have this gift of uh, a moment to pause and reflect and look at different ways of doing things and we have a complete lack of affordable housing even though we have so much space um here in the city of detroit you know that that's the ultimate irony but at the state level we have a ban on rent control so detroit cannot even implement uh, controls to rising rents. Uh, we have a complete lack of uh, sufficient Section 8 housing. And so, no, we don't have enough solutions. And we can forestall uh, mass displacement, but we, we lack long-term solutions. We need more home ownership opportunities, and we need more affordable housing. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let's talk about this Michigan Supreme Court ruling, which I think was perhaps the bigger news last week in the housing context. First, tell us what the Supreme Court ruled, and then tell us what that Mm -hmm. will mean for the tax foreclosure issue that we still are wrestling with.
3: So, yeah, we just had this ruling um, last week that resulted in a decision which says that counties cannot retain any profit. They cannot have uh, any profit on top of the debts that were owed on a property when it was tax foreclosed and sold in the auction. So an example would be if the house a $1,000 and it sells an auction for $5,000, um, that $4,000 extra is not um, any longer able to be retained by the county. And so um, the example in the case was was very extreme. There was $8 owed, which then raised to about uh, $200 with interest and fees, and the property sold for $1,000. And so um, with this, it takes away one, not the only, but one of the profit motives within the foreclosure cycle. So um, the other larger profit is is the interest and penalties, which are still there. So if you just look at the plaintiff in this case, $8 was owed, but over 200 was levied in terms of interest and fees. That's a really good analogy for what we see often by the time a house is foreclosed or properties foreclosed, the total collectible debt is largely comprised by interest and penalties, hmm. and so this is um, something that a lot of people are celebrating because tax foreclosure more more often affects low income property owners, and um, they were not entitled to retain their equity. Their home is sold at auction, um, and if it sold for more than it owed, then they were not entitled to any of the profits And that is a big if, Stephen, because not all properties did sell for more than they owed. Right. Um, and so it's not to say that uh, this would have affected all foreclosed properties over time. This is not a retroactive hearing, uh, ruling either. Um, but there is a sense of justice. If I can say, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. One of the outcomes may be that the treasurers merely lose interest or incentive in having an auction. Yeah. They may be more inclined to utilize the right of refusal. Which may not benefit um, residents. You know, it could, like any tool, it can be used for good or evil, and it could just be a way to divert all foreclosed properties to investors um, who may not have the interest of the community in mind. So we have to be careful of unintended consequences.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, that was my thought when I saw the ruling. Is that uh, for a long time it seems like we've had to, we've had this incentive on the part of county treasurers to to resist change because this would be a big blow to um to to county budgets and and mm-hmm. county executives as well were were I think really aware of that uh, changing that dynamic it seems like is a step in the right direction but as you point out it's it, it is not an automatic fix uh, for this mm-hmm. problem and it may create other kinds of kinds of dynamics that are not great either.
3: Absolutely. Yes. So we, we have an opportunity, though, to leverage this to say, because there is no incentive in the auction or a lesser incentive, can we then uh, continue to expand programs like the Make it Home program here in Detroit, through which we've basically transferred the first right of refusal to, to the resident uh, via the city? And through this program, 1,157 homes have been purchased and sold back to their residents within three years. And that can be a model for other places. It's certainly a lot of work. So you can understand the appeal of, you know, a single buyer, one investor who's just going to pay and take care of it for local governments. But we obviously have a bigger picture opportunity and a matter of justice to um distribute and make available foreclosed properties to existing residents.
0: Right. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. We're talking not only about the eviction moratorium, which is still in place here in the city of Detroit, thanks to the 36th District Court, but also the Michigan Supreme Court ruling last week that will prohibit counties from profiting from tax foreclosure, uh, a change, a significant change in the dynamics, at least, uh, involved in the tax foreclosure issue. Uh, As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Chris on Twitter says, we are going to need more than just another month, and the government will need to give people money if they really want to pull through this. I think he's talking there about uh, the moratorium on evictions. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's go to Bill in Bloomfield. Bill, welcome to the show.
2: Yes, thank you,
3: Stephen. Uh, Listen, this is another indication of uh, economic insecurity that most of our citizens suffer from. And the way to solve it is to have the guaranteed annual income, some other form of uh, compensation. Federal government has given billions of dollars to industries that don't need it, to churches, to other things. People are getting kicked out of their house. It's just going to make the situation worse. If we want to move towards a depression, then let's follow what we did in the 30s and throw people out Mm. on the
0: streets. Mm. That's a really stark and grim reference, Bill, and I think it's really appropriate given that, uh, given given what's going on. Michelle, uh, react to what he's saying about a federal solution to this. That doesn't seem like it's coming soon, but... No, it does
3: not. Yeah. You know, it's just harder to work with individuals, and we see this happen over and over with bailouts and other funds, is that they're, you know, whether it's because of a philosophy that believes that trickle-down works or through laziness... Um, we see large sums of money to very few sources, and um, getting funds to people. You know, we need lawyers, yes, but we need check writers. We need people to be approved for funding for their back rent and rent going forward, and that is a win-win because it pays landlords indirectly and it provides for some stability by our residents. Um, and I totally agree with the caller, and it's it's very frightening um, the type of fragility that we have in our. Our fabric, our housing, our communities across the country, and the complete absence of leadership and awareness at the federal level. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, Michelle Oberholzer, Director of the United Community Housing Coalition's Tax Foreclosure Prevention Project. It's always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by to talk about Thank these you. issues.
3: If I can just say sure. low-income homeowners, apply for your tax exemption and get the pay-as-you-stay plan so you can avoid foreclosure. This will be irrelevant to you if you can do that. Yes. Contact UCHC with questions.
0: Yes. Okay, Uh, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when I'm going to have a conversation with Detroit Public Schools Superintendent Dr. Nikolai Vitti about the opening of schools, the money situation that schools face, and other issues in Detroit public schools. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna-Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll talk again tomorrow.